Hey, Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders, about to do a Q&A. I love opening up Facebook and asking anybody if they have questions or things they'd like me to talk about, because although I have a plethora of things I'm ready to discuss, it's I'd like to put up to people that are actually listening to this to uh, direct me which way they want to see me go and what they want to see me talk about or hear me talk about. And so I'll be doing these occasionally to mix it up a bit. So the first one I got was uh, from Eddie Marquis, who's been following me for, oh, God, years since I think Tom's Big Spider is just the blog part. I, he's always been responsive, a great guy, and love chatting with him, definitely a hobby buddy now. Um, hey, bud, do you feel like the hobby is growing or is it in decline? Seems like there are fewer big tarantula breeders or salespeople's. Uh, people, would you attribute that decline to small-scale tarantula dealers? Do you think small-scale tarantula dealers are beneficial to the hobby? Well, gave me a lot to work with there. Um, so let's break this one down. First of all, I believe, to answer the first question, Eddie, I do believe the hobby is continuing to grow even since I first got heavy into it. And granted, I kept you know, a Jeep or Terry for years, but it wasn't until uh, several years ago that I finally noticed that there were a lot of other species out there and got really heavy into the hobby, started doing my research, finding out there were so many animals that I could possibly look at keeping. Um, even then, there seemed to be uh, you know, a few dealers that were the prominent ones. You had Swifts and Vertebrates, who's still around, obviously, Jamie's Tarantulas. Uh, Ken the Bug Guy was one of the big ones. And then you had Pet Center USA, which recently closed down. Um, so there were basically a handful of really major places that you would buy from. And then you had a bunch of other people that would spring up. And I think this is uh, part of the hobby that I find very interesting is that I think a lot of people get into the hobby with the idea of I'm going to make money off this. And I've had many, many, many emails, messages from people saying, hey, Tom, I'm looking for so-and-so a female because I'm looking to get into breeding and selling these. And I think what some people don't appreciate or that they underestimate is the logistics of actually getting into this business. My wife and I years ago used to uh, publish and sell books, and I after going through that, and these were things, you know, think about it. Somebody buys a book, you can pack it up, you can leave it on your dinner table until the next day. You can pack them up over the weekend, send them all out on Monday, they're completely fine. When you're dealing with live animals, it is basically, it, you're under the gun. It's, it's very time sensitive. If somebody orders something, you have to pack all this stuff up over the weekend. You have to have it go out in a timely manner. You can't really pack something on Saturday with a heat pack because then it's going to be cold already. You're dealing with live animals that you have to take care of and feed, and if you have any type of overhead, it's not like something that you can keep in a back room and let collect dust. You actively, I mean, just speaking with Tanya from Fear Not Tarantulas, and Tanya and Rachel came over recently, and we were talking about what it takes to feed all these things, and she has people on hand that do some of the feeding for her. I have over 200 animals, and it takes me hours to feed them all, do the maintenance, pull out boluses, um, scoop out any mold, uh, fill water dishes, Whatever it may be, it takes hours just to care for all these animals. So everybody out there who's thinking about doing this, just think of how many animals you have, whether it be 10, 20, 50, 100, and imagine how much time it takes you to do these. Now, for most of us, we do this on the weekends. We come home from work, it's like, all right, you know, Saturday morning, get a cup of coffee, get ready, start doing some feeding, some watering, whatever it may be, and that takes a good can take a good chunk of your day. Now, imagine that with the feeding everything else, you just got 35, 40, 50 orders, wherever, maybe even 10 orders that you have to pack up, 
get ready to go, have sitting there ready, get the tarantulas in the vials, prepare the vials, takes forever, or the containers, um, cut your foam, get your heat packs ready, get everything set, and then Sunday, when you really just want to relax and watch a football game or do whatever, you end up packing all these things up and getting them ready to go, and then somewhere Monday, you have to make sure you can take a trip to the local FedEx, not U.S. Post Office, to mail these bad boys out. That is a lot of work, and I know what ends up happening is people get it in their heads, and I kind of alluded to this when I was talking about breeding. A lot of people want to breed, which is great. I encourage breeding, but I think there are also some people out there that come in with the idea of this is going to be a big money maker. I'm going to make a quick buck. I uh, My father... We grew up on kind of a hobby farm, and he was always about what animals were worth and how much money we can make off them, and that mentality is kind of foreign to me. But there are a lot of people that come into this. They buy a couple tarantulas. They see what they're paying for them, and then they decide, hey, you know what? I can do this. So they find a wholesaler. They pick up a few different slings. You know, that somebody, the wholesaler has, says, hey, instead of buying 10, why don't you buy 100 of these? They move really well. And the next thing you know it, they're sitting on four or 500 tarantulas that they now have to care for, which kind of takes the fun out of the hobby when you're caring for them all to sell. And then the reality sets in how much work this is. So back to your question, Eddie, about these small breeders or whatever, I think they are always going to continue to pop up. I do think sometimes they can cut into the bigger dealer's overhead because what will happen is, and I've seen this before in the past, somebody will will open up and they'll go, hey, I have Hapalopus slings. Buy them right now. You get three for $15 when everybody else, all the other dealers are currently selling them for $15 each. And this kind of cuts into it. But they don't last. They don't tend to last very long. I think for a lot of them, there's a reality check. I worked with one young lady years ago who I was really hoping was going to do well. She got into it. She was buying a lot of slings through wholesale. She was selling them for great pro, uh, great prices. And this is before I understood how the market really works. I'm like, this is great. So I was buying for it. She didn't last very long, unfortunately, and I believe got completely out of the hobby, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, there was another guy I was buying from, and th- this guy was, I believe, importing. I'm guessing not legally because he didn't really have all that much. But I, this was, again, back before I knew what was going on, and I ended up buying from him. And they close down. So I do believe you're going to have the people that are in this that have a good business sense, that have a good business plan, that do good business and take care of their customers. That's first and foremost. This is a small community between Facebook, Arachnoboards, um, YouTube, everybody talks. So if you don't have good customer service, if you don't handle your customers well, you're not going to have a good business in this hobby for long. And there's a couple of people I can think of that recently, one in particular that closed down recently that I had some issues with. And after speaking with other keepers, they had had some issues with, I won't even give the gender, no longer around. So I do believe that having these guys pop up here and there are fine because you never know which one's going to make it. That's the thing. We do, I mean, just thinking of uh, Canada, and I have a lot of buddies, hobby buddies up in Canada, and guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but there aren't a heck of a lot of major dealers up there. You have uh, Tangled in Webs, I believe, and uh, Tarantulas Canada, I think it is, but forgive me if I got this one wrong. I obviously don't order them from these places. And I think there's one other, but I guess they have a suspect reputation. So there's not a lot of places to buy from where in any given day in the U S you have, you know, at least six places you can buy from. Granted, some are newer and might not last long, but right now we have a, a bunch of new places popping up. 
Um, Pinchers and Pokies is one that's come up rather recently. You know, Tanya, Fear Not Tarantulas, has been around for a while now, but that was one of the ones that came up while I was in the hobby and has been fantastic. Uh, Palp Friction has been getting a ton of notice and is getting deep into the hobby. And then I could name probably four or five that aren't around even in the past two years that were kind of making a big push to be a big deal. And, you know, one of them screwed a bunch of people over. One of them had a meltdown. It's just... It's the ebb and flow of the hobby. So to cover the first question, Eddie, I don't believe that the smaller dealers are that big of a deal because I honestly don't think a lot of these smaller pop-up places are built to last. And if anybody out there is a smaller pop-up place that is going to go for it, I know what it's like to be told you're not going to make it, whatever, went through that myself. I'm not telling everybody they're not going to make it. But what I'm saying is the majority of ones that pop up find out it's way more trouble than it's worth. They have trouble procuring enough slings. Keep in mind, this is something people, it costs a lot of money to send these things legally. So what ends up happening is the people that are selling them, if you don't have a big, if you can't give really good prices, which isn't going to keep you in business for very long, or if you don't have a large selection, somebody's going to go shopping somewhere else. So for example, when I go shopping for tarantulas, I try to get the most for my buck. So if I go to one little place and they have, say, a Hapalopus species, we'll continue with that one for a really cheap price, but the shipping's $40. Then I go over to Fear Not Tarantulas and they have it for a little bit more. More, but there's four other species that I'm looking for. Guess where I'm going to buy from? It's going to, in the long run, I'm going to save more with the shipping. So I think they struggle with that aspect of it. So again, not a bad, uh, I encourage people to try to sell these things. I just wish more people in the U.S. would actually breed them and wholesale them. And that will get to the second part of this question. So for the second part, do you believe there are fewer big tarantula breeders or salespeople? And my answer to that would be no. We're probably about the same, if not more. Yes, we've lost some major ones over the years, the ones that were considered to be major ones, although they had some issues. But we've also picked up new ones. Like we said, uh, Tanya Fear Not Tarantula is a big dealer now. She does a lot of business, does import, has a fantastic selection Um Pout Friction, again, I've not ordered from them. It's, it's coming, but I've heard a lot of good things about them, pinchers and pokies. So we've picked up some decent-sized dealers there. So I think there's going to be, again, a natural ebb and flow for people opening up that are going to be in this for the long run, and there's going to be some that seem like big dealers that disappear. I do think big dealers are important because a lot of people, when they first get into the hobby, the shipping does throw them off. I can't tell you how many people that will email me and go, yeah, I I took your advice. I went online and I I looked at this place, but they want $50 shipping. And I have to inform them that's normal, unfortunately. And that can be difficult when you're buying one spider. But what ends up happening is people, again, try to get more for their shipping dollar and order more spiders. And that's when the big places come in because they usually have pretty good prices. They have a big selection and they can get more for their money. So I don't think we have fewer. As a matter of fact, I've seen a couple major ones pop up in just the last few years that have been doing great business. I hope it continues. And then some of the ones that have been around for a while are still up and kicking. So I don't think that is getting smaller. And I would, you know, again, I would love to talk to some of the people that have been in the business for a while, say a Kelly Swift or, you know, Jamie or some of the people that have been doing this long, Ken the Bug Guy. I'm wondering if the volume of sales have gone up or if it's been steady. It seems to me just from doing the Tom's Big Spiders thing from my blog, mostly from my blog, but emails and stuff I get, we are getting a lot of new people interested in the hobby. I could probably go through the last several months of emails and find at least 50 people. And granted, that seems like a small number, but the hobby is constantly growing. People are getting interested in it. They're seeing these animals not as the demons that we've, you know, 
arachnophobia, I've mentioned before, arachnophobia, fear of snakes, and I think clowns are the top three things that people are scared of. I might have made that complete list completely arbitrarily up, but obviously a fear of spiders is huge. So these aren't things people are looking at to be pets. So we have a stigma we have to overcome to get people interested in the hobby, but I do think things have changed where people are being a bit more supportive, and I hear a lot more, I get a lot more contacts from people going, hey, I'm absolutely terrified of spiders, but I've been kind of watching some of your videos and I'm getting interested. And that's what we want to hear because a lot of the people that do come into the hobby, believe it or not, were you know self-professed arachnophobes to start off. I got into the hobby. I was terrified of spiders, but fascinated by them at the same time. So I do think the hobby will continue to grow in this respect. I think we're, start, we're, we're still nowhere near, I think, say the herp hobby, the snakes. I was into snakes for years and it seems like snakes, I can't tell you how many people will do the old, oh my god, you keep spiders, that's so creepy. Yeah, I keep snakes, I love snakes. So it seems like snakes have gotten much more, um, I don't want to say mainstream, because they're still, when you're talking about exotic pets, we're not particularly mainstream, but I do think they're much more popular now, especially with all the ball python molts, just about a lot of people I know, you know, keep a snake or two, that seems to be normal, but spiders, not so much. So I think we have a ways to catch up as far as the exotics go, but I do believe the hobby is growing. I think with face, if you look at the number of Facebook groups that open up, arachnoboards is still thriving. There are a lot of people out there that are still, that are just discovering this hobby and getting into it. And I would guess that the numbers are rapidly growing. Now, again, this is just my insight into it. I'd love to hear other people chime in. You know, anybody that's listening to us that just got into the hobby, feel free to chime in. When did you get in? What drew you in? But I do think that it is growing. Now, as far as big breeders, let's get into breeding. That's something I think we struggle at in the, at in the U.S. That's one of the reasons we pay such high prices for some of these slings. I interact with a lot of European uh, breeders and hobbyists that will tell us what they pay for some of the things that over here we're paying 75, 80 bucks for. And over there, it's like 25 bucks or pounds or whatever it may be, the currency over there, but it's, you know, equal to. So I think one of the biggest issues we have is people in the States are not breeding. We are very rapid. We are far behind the Europeans, especially the Germans seem to do an amazing job of breeding these animals. So what ends up happening, and I've alluded to this in the past, is that when they are enjoying these nice prices is because they have a sustainable breeding population. People are breeding them, keeping them in the hobby. We can have things over here that are, you know, for example, the uh, C. cyanio pubicans. Those used to be super prevalent. Every once in a while now, you don't see them for a little while. So the prices remain high because they are in demand and there are not enough of them produced. And I think more people, I'd like to see more people get into this hobby that establish themselves first. You know, get your basic, don't think about breeding or doing any of that stuff until you get the actual rules of the hobby down, know how to keep these guys. But once you get going, I would like to see more people breeding them. Pick some species that are in demand and try your hand at breeding. And then again, I've gone through this before about talking about breeding, line up some, uh, some prospective buyers, sell them wholesale, uh, again, I'm not going to tell somebody not to get into the business of selling tarantulas. That's not what I'm here for. But give it serious thought. Would you rather sit on 100 Pisolotheria babies for months while you try to you know, sell them out one by one, which is fine. Some people do this and they're completely okay with it. Or would you rather get a hold of a dealer that goes, I'll take a big chunk of them and get a nice chunk of money. Granted, it'll be wholesale price, but you'll still get a chunk of change. Sometimes you can trade for credit, which is great because you can get some ones you want and you never have to buy anything. It's a, it's a great thing. Produce some slings, trade them off. I just did this with Tanya. It was great because she was talking about whether you buy them or not. And I'm like, you know what? I would just like to trade at this point. There's some things you have that I want. Give me a reasonable trade and we'll do it that way. 
And that keeps the hobby full of these species that tend to disappear. And I just think of the Gramostola uh, pulchra that is back in the hobby because it's been a bunch of slings have been imported, I believe, from Germany. And let's get some of these guys grown up and try to figure out how to breed them. I think we need to spend more time there. So, Eddie, probably a long-winded uh, answer to your questions here, but that's what I think. I think we do need uh, more breeder, more uh, dealers would be nice, but let's differentiate the difference between breeders and dealers. I do think we need more breeders. We need more people that will kick back and breed these, like Tom Patterson's of the world, that do all the breeding and get these things out there and get some of these new species that nobody knows what to do with yet and breed them and get them out there so we can flood the market with them, lower those prices, and keep the hobby going. Because I think one big turnoff for people new to the hobby is they see some of these beautiful tarantulas we have, like the Sazames for a while were selling for 80 bucks a piece, but people would see Sazames and go, I'm just in the hobby. I'm, I want to pick up one of these. And then they see the prices and it turns them off. So let's get breeding. Let's get more of these out there and let's fill the hobby so that we can uh, stop having to import from Germany and Europe and start having a sustainable population over here. So to sum up, Eddie, I do believe the hobby is growing. Um, even just since I started my site several years ago, I've seen a huge burst in the amount of people getting into it. Although I've seen some big vendors close down, I've seen some new, some could argue even better vendors popping up, and hopefully they'll stay around. And do little vendors popping up hurt business? I'm sure it probably, and having spoken to many of the big dealers, it's frustrating sometimes when you're selling something for the going rate and some new guy pops up and undercuts you. But I, many of them are not built to last. They're, they kind of come out for a little while. They're gone in a year or two. So I, I think in the grand scheme of things, it, it can be perturbing to people that are in the business and been there for a while, but they don't tend to last. And who knows which one of these is going to turn into the next big dealer. I've seen some pop up that I didn't think were going to last, and, and now they're pretty big deal. And so overall, I think our hobby is in great shape. We just need to continue to be polite to each other, to encourage new people, to uh, ask questions and not beat them down. That's a big thing that peeves the heck out of me is that I do believe we got the elitists in here that somebody asked a new question and nope, you should do your research. You should do this. You should do that. Let's just be cordial to each other. Let's attract people to the hobby. You know, I, I just, everybody knows I'm a big heavy metal fan and I have a lot of people that are like, Oh my God, you go to those metal concerts. They must be nasty. I've had nothing but good times at metal concerts because people generally are, they're all there for the same music. It's a, it's a type of music that a lot of people don't like. So when we go to these concerts, everybody's happy to be there and see the bands. And generally, unless you're in the mosh, pit everybody's very cordial and i'd like to see the same type of thing with the tarantula hobby most people think we're weirdos just like metal they, they how can you listen to this stuff how can you keep spiders let's create a culture so that when people get glimpses into it they don't see us at our worst bickering and making fun of each other and and browbeating people and admonishing people for not doing things correctly or doing their research let's support them and bring them into the hobby so they go man these people are really nice they're intelligent they're informed they're not catty they're not clicky so that would be something that I would add on to the edge of this as far as keeping our hobby growing is to be polite and cordial to one another. If you don't have anything nice to say, shut your mouth, put your keyboard away, stop being a freaking keyboard hero, and just walk away from it. We don't need you. We need people out there that are going to go, all right, you know what? I've answered the pre-mult questions a million times, and God, I would love to go through my emails and, and talk about how many times I've answered concerned emails about, hey, my spider flipped, what's going on? I'm fine to do it because these are people that later on contact me three years later. Hey, thanks so much. I have like 40 tarantulas now. I really appreciate you taking the time out. Now I realize how silly these questions were, but now I'm deep in the hobby and I get it. That's the most rewarding thing in the world. So 
Yes, I think it's growing. Yes, I think it's our responsibility, those established, to support the new people that are in here, and let's keep it growing. So maybe someday we're not so fringe. Maybe some days we can start changing some of these ridiculous blue laws about transporting and mailing tarantulas that are bugaboo. We can protect ourselves when some local senator tries to pass legislation banning them. And I know the Peace Letharia question came up a couple of years ago where they were starting to ask whether they should ban them. And it freaked everybody out. Let's come together as opposed to browbeating new people, being nasty to each other, and solidify this hobby so that we have strength and we can protect ourselves in the hobby going ahead. All right, next question up is from Jennifer Waters Dellinger. Hope I pronounced your name right, Jen. Hi, Tom. I heard of someone who got urticating bristles in his eye. What precaution can be taken for dealing with urticating bristles? Thank you for sharing your advice and fascinating experiences. Well, thank you for commenting. I'm so glad somebody asked me a question involving urticating hairs because I think these are often overlooked while we spend so much time talking about tarantula bites. We don't acknowledge the fact that the hairs can be particularly nasty and in some cases have driven people out of the hobby. So let me explain a bit. First of all, Jennifer, great point about protecting yourselves. You'll see in some of my videos I wear uh, latex gloves or vinyl gloves. One thing you can do is when working with any species that have hairs is to make sure that you wear protective gear. So, for example, long sleeve shirts. And I don't always do this because I've actually had, as my dog shakes off in the background, it happens one per uh, podcast. I don't always wear protective stuff because I, I need to be comfortable and move around, and I've had very good luck with my animals not kicking. However, if you know you have a species that is uh, likely to kick, then what you want to do is wear a long sleeve t-shirt, long sleeves to cover your arms, and gloves that will protect your hands and your arms. Also, safety glasses, as much as everybody's going to probably make fun, and I've had, it drives me absolutely nuts because you have the adrenaline junkie Yahoo boys to jump on and go, what are you worried about? Just pick the darn thing up. Who cares about a little hair? Well, unfortunately, what we found is that as people get haired more and more often, get more and more of these bristles on them, they become less resistant to them. So I've talked to people that have been in the hobby a lot longer than me, that have kept New Worlds for years, they've been haired several times, and now they can't even go into a room with New Worlds. I talked to a hobbyist that actually got rid of all of his New Worlds because it became actually too painful and irritating to even keep them in a room. He could not deal with them at all. And that's terrifying to me. I love my New Worlds. I love Old Worlds. I love New Worlds. I I couldn't pick, honestly, which one I'd rather have species from. I, I keep them all. But that's something people need to keep in mind. So yeah, I, I love it where I, I mentioned on one video I got haired by, it was one of the first times it happened, by my Lazy Dora Parahibana female. My big female kicked some hairs. I didn't think she got me. And then the next day, my fingers were just, they were swollen red. There were little blisters on them and they itched for about a week. I got caught pretty bad. Now, this could have been the first time I ever got exposed to hairs or I could have been exposed before, didn't know it, and now I've lost my resistance to them. So, of course, people chime in the videos. Oh, I stick my hands in there all the time. I got the hairs all over me. They don't bother me. They will eventually, so I would knock it off if I were you. Again, I don't think, it drives me nuts because this hobby attracts a lot of people, that the adrenaline junkies that want to handle the old worlds, want to stick their hands in there and brag about it, love to brag. I've had people brag about getting bit. And you know what? Whatever floats your boat, I honestly don't care, but that shouldn't be the norm in this hobby. We should be very careful when dealing with these animals. So when dealing with something with urticating hairs, Jennifer, I would encourage you 
you know, sometimes we have ones that we know aren't going to kick, but if you're cleaning out a container, please keep in mind they kick hairs all through their enclosures. So definitely if you're dumping substrate, I did this once where I was out in shorts and sneakers and I dumped a bunch of substrate. And what I realized later is that the wind had blown some of the stuff onto my legs and my legs were all itchy later on. So cover yourself up, long pants, long sleeve shirts, and as much as everybody might make fun of you, having safety glasses on is not a bad move to make. Um, so that would be the easiest thing to do. I actually, when I got caught with that LP, managed to get one of the hairs in the corner of my eye. Now, at first, I I didn't even realize it happened. My eye was just a little bit irritated. Uh, so I, it was later on when I looked in the mirror, my eye was about as bloodshot as I've ever seen it. All the skin on my eye, inside my eyelid was bright red. My eye was completely completely red. It looked nasty and it was like that for about a week. So it was a little irritated, a little itchy, wasn't terrible. However, I've seen pictures where people have gotten the hairs in their eyes and it's gotten really bad and they've had to go to the optometrist or whatever the horrible with the doctors, the eye doctor who took a picture of it and you could actually see the hair sticking out of the eyeball. It was one of the most nastiest things I've ever seen. So that's something to be careful of. Keep in mind in the wild, this is a great defense where a small animal that might be preying on these things comes up and goes to bite them. They kick the hairs. It goes into their eyes. And the other thing is up your nose. I haven't had that happen. Thank the Lord. But I've known people that have had the bristles kicked into their nose. They've sniffed them up and it's been a nightmare. So again, if you have a species or a specimen that you think is prone to kicking, play it safe, play it smart. Put on safety glasses to cover your eyes, put on long sleeves, long pants, and then you might even want to put on, and people are going to make fun of me for this, but throwing on a respirator isn't a bad idea because if you watch these clouds of hairs when they kick them, they travel quite far and you may be standing two feet above it, think you're completely safe, but those hairs kick up, they can go right in your face, right in your nose, right in your eyes, and it can be absolutely miserable. You do not want an eye infection or a bad science infection, a science sinus infection because you have a bunch of urticating tarantula hairs up your nose and in your eyes. So again, this goes, honestly, good practice. Anytime you're handling these, you'd be careful and put on the correct gear because you never know when one's going to kick. I've had ones like my, my GBBs, my C. cyanea pubicans, once upon a time were actually fairly calm, would just sit out. Now, when I pop their enclosures, one of them at least, one of them's outgrown this, but one of them will just start kicking right away and you have to put the tap, cap back on. Um, so be careful, exercise caution, assume anybody, obviously the new world species, any new world species can kick at any time and make sure you protect yourself. And finally, this one wasn't asked in the questions section, but I do have a little time to kill here. And my buddy, Alan Evans, asked a question about how do folks know whether care sheets versus arachnoboards, when I say care sheets aren't as good as going to like arachnoboards and real people, what does that mean? How do you tell? And basically just consider it this way. Any person out there can go right on the line right now, start a website. Hey, this could have been Tom's Big Spiders. I might not even have had a single spider and I could have done this and make a website about tarantula care. And what usually happens with the care sheets and why people hate care sheets so much is people will just cut and paste them from Wikipedia or other websites and put them on their website talking about ideal temperatures and ideal humidity and they have no idea what they're talking about. A lot of these people don't even keep the species they have and that's where it comes down. That's, I think, the point I was trying to make when I mentioned the fact that you don't 
don't want to bother with care sheets. You want to talk to people on forums and arachnoboards. There's a difference between a care sheet where you don't even know if the person has this animal. In some cases, Mike's Basic Tarantula is a great one as far as he does the care guides, and I, I love his stuff. You know. But going to somebody that actually keeps them and can say, I kept mine this way. I grew mine from a sling, keeping it this way, and it's doing great. That's a huge difference. That's experience versus you don't know what you're getting. And I use this as an example. Back when I started Tom's Big Spiders, I had someone contact me that was starting up their own tarantula site, and they were asking if I could endorse them. And they said, look, I'm going to be doing care sheets and everything else. Well, I checked out this individual site. And I don't want to sound like an elitist because I'm not, but I obviously I hope if anything comes out of these videos and these blogs and whatnot is the fact that I honestly care very deeply about giving people current and correct information. I went on her site, checked out one of the care guides she had, and it was terrible. There was just total misinformation through it. And even worse, when I did a search for that species after I found out she just blatantly copied it from somebody else that didn't keep the species and put it up there. So it wasn't even her own information. Now she went around on actively promoting this site on tarantula care and was getting people that were going, oh, this is great. I got this species. This is great to know. I didn't know you had to keep it completely moist. It didn't have to be kept completely moist. So this one was out there spreading misinformation. So I get wanting to like tarantulas. And if she had gone on and talked about some of, you know, even when I started Tom's Big Spiders, it was more just me sharing my experiences about what I was doing and some of the things I had, you know, learned going through it. And then as it moved on and I learned more and more, I started sharing it. That's fine, but going on and saying, hey, I know about tarantulas, I keep tarantulas, here are some of the things I've learned, and have it not even be in your information, that's not good at all. That's poor form, and that's detrimental to the hobby. So, Alan, I think what I'm saying is it's always better to try to find somebody that actually personally keeps them and get information. The best place to do that would be the forums, arachnoboards, tarantula forums, um, the many, many online Facebook groups. There's many different avenues you can go, but that is better than looking up some stagnant care sheet that somebody put together with fake ideal temperatures, fake ideal humidity, and whatnot that you don't even know where this information is coming from. Spend a little extra time, hop on board, hopefully you don't get crucified if you go on the wrong area where they'll tear you apart for asking a stupid question, and talk to people that actually keep them. That's the best information out there. And once you talk to a person, even if it's me, if I tell you something, go out, ask some other people what they're doing. Get multiple perspectives on it. I am not the be-all and end-all. This is how I do it, but there are other ways to do it. And just be cautious of what you use. All right, that'll do it for this one. Hopefully this was informative and fun. I enjoy doing these question and answers. As usual, if you want to leave a comment, please head to Facebook where I usually post these up and you can comment there. Feel free to shoot me an email. Check out Tom's Big Spiders on YouTube and my website, tomsbigspiders.com. Thanks again for listening.